Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. If you have your Bibles, let's open them up this morning. We've been going through the book of James. We are in chapter 5. James chapter 5, we covered the first six verses last week, and we'll be picking it up at verse 7 this morning. Is it just me, or have you noticed that much of our lives is spent waiting? What do you think? I'm waiting for your response to that. (laughs) As kids, we couldn't wait to get our first bicycle, and then we couldn't wait to get our driver's license, and then we couldn't wait to get our own car, our first car. and then after that, we couldn't wait to get out of high school or, or out of college and, or for some to get that first real pain job and, and, and then move out of the parents' house. Just couldn't wait. You may be waiting for something right now. News about the test results from the doctor waiting to hear about the job application you have filled out or waiting to learn if the surgery was a success. Waiting, waiting, waiting. None of us like to wait. Am I pretty close to being accurate with that? None of us like to wait. But waiting is a fact of life. Waiting is how we develop patience. And patience is a must in the Christian's life. Would you agree with that? Today, James is going to encourage us in this passage that we're in to practice patience. Because we probably would all agree that we all need to practice patience. Like 24-7, right? So the first thing we notice, the first thing James points out for us, beginning in verse 7, is we must practice patience. We do practice patience when we wait, not grudgingly, not irritably, but when we wait expectantly. Big difference. Look at verses 7 and 8 with me. For James now is going to say, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. We notice that James begins here, this part of the passage, with be patient then. The Greek word for then in the original language is the word un. It also gets translated with the word therefore. We know about that word, right? We've talked about that here before. I have have said to you, whenever you see that word therefore, you want to ask yourself, what what is it there for? And typically, it is always a connective word. It is connecting what has just been said to what is about to be said. This word then is that doing that very same thing. James is indicating that what follows 
is coming from what he has just previously said. Now remember that James has just addressed the oppressive wealthy people and wealthy people in verses one through six, exposing their wrongs and calling for repentant humility in light of the coming judgment of God. And so now he is going to speak to the very victims of those wealthy people, their ugly self-indulgent lives. In other words, the verse could read like this. Verse 7 could read this way. Therefore, in light of the fact of the ultimate judgment of the wicked rich who are oppressing you, be patient, brothers and sisters. Now, just real briefly, again, this isn't, this isn't about God being against all rich people. This is just about those who have been using their wealth to oppress people and live luxurious, self-indulgent lives, not sharing their, like what God has blessed them with sort of thing, okay? So I want to make sure everyone understands it. James is saying, hang in there, be patient. Yes, there will be injustice, rip-offs, and unfairness, but keep this in mind. The Lord is coming. And he sees what's going on, and he will settle the score. You and I don't have to do that, even though we've all probably been there and done that, right? Tried to settle the score on our own. The person who is without Christ lives their lives in constant frustration. Even for the unbelieving wealthy person, behind the glitter, you will find tension anxiety, and fear. But for the believer, the believer has the supernatural ability by the work of the Holy Spirit to endure under hardships of life, whether mild or extreme. And so James is kind of saying to us, how valuable then is patience? It's pretty huge. The exhortation to be patient actually deals with and answers a simple question that, that basically kind of looms in the background of this passage. How can I do right when I've been done wrong? Yeah, good question that we all deal with at different times in our lives. Well, James has some answers for us. He has some answers to that question, and the very first is with an illustration. Did you see what he says? He says, consider the farmer who waits patiently through the growing seasons before he can reap the fruit of his labors. He plows his field, he plants the seed, and then waits. James tells us he waits for the autumn and the spring rains. Now, please keep in mind and keep this in mind throughout this message this morning. The farmer has no control whatsoever over the rains. Amen? Amen. No more than we have control over our futures and what is involved with that. No control at all. So James is saying, likewise, you believers, my brothers and sisters, be patient. The word translated patient here comes from a Greek word that means to wait 
Are you ready for this? Peacefully. (laughs) Not on the edge of our seats, not gritting our teeth, biting our nails. Peacefully. It's putting into practice what Paul wrote to the Philippians in chapter 4. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's also living out what we find in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Most of you are familiar with this verse. Cast all your anxiety. Some of the translation says, cast all your cares on him. And then he tells us why. Because he cares for you. James is saying, when something unjust takes place in your life, Have a long fuse. Don't blow your top. Just chill. We can trust God in that. But let's be honest. Can we be honest here? Most of us would much rather take those who have been oppressing us by the throat (laughs) and do them some harm. Are we honest? Yeah. Talk about the laying on of hands, right? (laughs) But we need to understand and be reminded here once again that God has a better plan. How many have found out in past experiences when you've done that? It just makes matters worse, doesn't it? Yeah. God's got a better plan that we wait on him, which means when Christ returns, He will give out justice on those who have done his people wrong. But there's some good news here. Waiting patiently on the Lord doesn't mean that we only are stuck in waiting for him in the sweet by and by. No, James also is referring to the here and now. In, In the here and now. God has a way of working out his purposes and his plans on an everyday scale. That's good news, isn't it? He's involved. He's with us, leading us and guiding us and taking care of us on an everyday scale, just as he will work out his grand plan on a universal scale. This is what James is telling us here. I recently read a story of a family who, have, who had to flee China. And this, some of you probably get the same things I received from Voice of the Martyrs. And I had received this email talking about a family who um, had to flee China. They first went to Taiwan and eventually have made it to America. But the communists in China have kind of taken on for the last year or two sort of a new tactic. And yeah, they would find out who the believers are, watch them with an eagle eye, throw them in prison. But what they're doing now is coming and taking their children away from them under the guise of this being for the children's good, protecting them, rescuing them from a religious cult, referring to Christianity in that way. And so this family did not want to leave 
wanted to stand firm there, but were finally forced to go and have come here to America and believe that they have here, are here by God's putting them here so that they can be a voice to the English-speaking part of the world on behalf of the believers in China who are still there and enduring some horrific persecution. My whole reason for even sharing this is the statement that this husband made, this, this man said, having been delivered from China, I am thankful for the persecution that I endured in China. And he says, I'm thankful because it has made me a better person. And then he says, and the church in China is going to be stronger for it as well. I thought as I read that, how many of us in America could make that kind of statement? I'm thinking not very many, and I, you know why I think that? Because we're too busy grumbling and complaining about everything under the sun. He says, James says, wait expectantly. Be patient. Next, James tells us, speaking of grumbling, he says, wait without grumbling. <laughs> Look at verse 9 with me. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. And then notice what he says. The judge is standing at the door. While we wait, we are to relate gracefully. In other words, not only do we have to be patient through the tough circumstances that come our way, but we also have to be patient with people. Anybody here have tough people in your life? We see here another way that believers should respond are to respond to adversity, and it concerns our actions toward those around us. When your circumstances try your patience, and when you feel discouraged and frustrated, external pressures caving in on you, we get frustrated, don't we? And the tendency is to do what? Grumble and complain. It's almost like we feel like we've earned the right <laughs> to get off on grumbling and complaining about our situation, about our circumstance. But when dealing with difficult people, it seems natural once again to grumble and complain. But God calls us to do the Christ-like thing and refuse the grumbling, refuse the complaining, refuse the being rude to one another. Refraining from grumbling is another way, church, that we practice patience in Christ. Speaking of Christ-likeness, have you ever wondered what if our Lord and Savior complained about us. You ever thought about that? Has anybody here ever given Jesus a reason to complain? If he were a complainer? Can you imagine? Jesus talking to the Father? <laughs> that knucklehead? 
When are they going to get it? When will they figure this out? But aren't you glad that that is not what Jesus does? He doesn't complain and he doesn't grumble about you or me, even though we've given plenty of reason to do so. But listen to what Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 tells us what Jesus does do because of us and our weaknesses. It says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. And then here it is, because he always lives to complain. No, that's not what it says. Because he always lives to intercede for you and me. He's praying for you, even now. Praying for me, even now, in spite of us. This verse points out that a complaining attitude hinders us from developing patience and long-suffering. Grumbling, as you know, involves criticism and fault-finding against one another. Hardship may have driven some of these first-century believers to hopelessness, may have caused them to begin the whole blame game and blaming those around them for their tough situations and the trouble that they were experiencing. But as far as James is concerned, notice this with me. It's basically kind of James saying, who would dare to hold on to such an attitude when the judge is standing at the door? How inappropriate it is for followers of Jesus Christ to be grumbling and fighting and quarreling against each other when the imminent return of Jesus is just around the corner. Jesus will bring with him, when he comes, a complete knowledge of what we've been doing. We should be living in readiness for his coming. Instead, too often, we behave like a group of kids fighting on the playground at school, knowing that sooner or later a teacher is going to show up and haul us off to the principal's office. Jesus is coming. Church, how are you living? In Matthew 24, Jesus gives us warning. He says, at that time, referring to the last days, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Is your life getting hotter for the things of God or is it growing colder? How are you living? Realizing that the judge is standing at the door. Verse 10 and 11. Brothers and sisters, 
as an example of patience in the face of suffering. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we cannot, uh, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The ancient Hebrew prophets serve as an example to us on how to endure with patience. God called the prophets to proclaim his message back in the Old Testament to a backslidden nation of Israel, right? It's what they were called to do, which they did and were persecuted for it by the very folks that they were bringing the message to. However, instead of grumbling against their persecutors, these prophets demonstrated an enduring patience and continued to fulfill God's purpose for their lives. You see, prophets often refers not only to the prophetic office, people like Isaiah or, or Daniel, but also to the whole cast of Old Testament people who spoke and acted on behalf of the living God. And so people like Job, James says, Job is, of course, a, a great example, is he not, of patient perseverance, if you know his story. Under major excruciating suffering, though he endured unimaginable personal and financial and physical losses, he refused to give in to the I'm out of here kind of attitude. He refused to Bow to the sour-than-grapes revenge reflex, demonstrating his genuine faith through a genuine patience, of course, based on a trust in the living God. Listen, if you think you have problems, I encourage you to read the book of Job. As you know, we live in a now generation we want everything quickly, and we certainly do not want to be reminded how God never gets in a hurry. <laughs> but he has a purpose for every situation, every problem that, that he allows to come into our life. There is purpose. You see, he is far more concerned about what? Our character than he is our comfort. Glad to hear you say amen to that. Patience, as you know, is never learned instantly in a problem. It's learned over the long haul, isn't it? Extended period of time. In fact, listen to what Romans chapter 5 tells us. But we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces patience. Patience, character. And character, hope. Now, please understand, this is not about God getting some kind of kick out of watching us suffer. No. But he allows hardships because it produces patience, which proves our character. And think about it. Think about it. 
It could be that character is the only thing that we will take with us to heaven. Interesting. James says the Lord is full of compassion and mercy because he wants his readers to know that everything that happened to Job, to us, both good or bad, happened or happens because the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Are you understanding that? See, we typically will attach compassion and mercy to the Lord when it's something good happening to us. How often do we attach those very same attributes of God on the front end of a hardship, on the front end of trial or adversity or suffering? Job is saying, did say, (laughs) James is also saying, his compassion and his mercy are full and always coming at us in the beginning as well as in the end and everything in between it's because he loves you cares about you and wants to see you become more like his son complaining i say is one habit that is worth getting rid of what do you think (laughs) and then james tells us that we are to wait without swearing look at verse 12 Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Above all, James says, do not swear. Now, while swear here certainly includes the use of profanity, in other words, not going there and using profanity, but in this context, it is primarily referring to swearing oaths, making vows. But why does James bring up the swearing of oaths here? It seems like it's out of place. He's All of a sudden, it would appear that he's jumped tracks and... <laughs> got onto a whole different subject, and that is not at all the case. But also notice the, the, the implication and the, the seriousness that James brings to this whole idea of not swearing oaths because he says, if you are not careful, you'll be condemned. That, that to me, makes it pretty serious. Something I think we want to perk up our ears and make sure we understand yeah. and don't get this messed up. The use of the term above all is helpful here because it connects to everything that James has said. The issue is, same as we saw back in chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, authority and control of the future. Our thinking that we can control our futures. To swear the kind of oath that James has in mind here is an attempt then to assert one's control of the future with regard to any kind of particular situation. 
Now, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13, 13 through 20, shed some insightful light on this for us. In that passage, the writer says that God wanted to promise Abraham's descendants and to confirm his intentions, that promise, in other words, it says that he swore by himself. Interestingly, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 15, it says, So after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. In other words, Abraham could not control the future. So he had to wait patiently for God who could control the future. You see, it isn't Abraham saying, I swear to God, I am going to have a child. No, it is God saying, I swear by myself, you will have a child. The whole point of all of this is this. When it comes to dealing with life, the one who swears is the one who controls the future. The one who waits is the one who does not control the future. <clears throat> to wait is to trust God to make things right. To swear an oath for us to do that in and of ourselves is to trust yourself to make things right. Swearing oaths as a means of wrongly claiming control can be seen in Matthew chapter 5, a passage known as you all know, the Sermon on the Mount, which records Jesus' teaching, as it were, the swearing of oaths that James is obviously referring to here. In these verses, Jesus commands, but I tell you, do not Swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your own head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. In other words, God's got this. He's over it all. He is sovereign, and you are not. And so since you can't control what happens to you, do not swear an oath. Don't go off saying to somebody, this is what I'm going to do, and what I'm saying is going to happen will indeed happen, and I'm going to make sure of it. Don't do that. Don't declare that you can control the future. Is what James is telling us. You see, if a Christian making plans for the future without acknowledging the Lord's will is bad, then certainly oaths regarding the future is just as bad. Why? Because both are forms of a lack of trust and submission to God. So the worst thing someone can do in the midst of suffering is to attempt to usurp God's place and claim control over the future. <laughs> can, I be, can I just speak real plainly? That is just plain dumb. <laughs> and all it will get you, James says, is condemned. Yes. Yes. 
Matthew's version of Jesus' statement on swearing ends with this. Simply let your yes be yes and your no be no, just as James has said. But then Jesus also said, anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Wow. The evil one's modus operandi is to displace God, is it not? Always has been. And this is an expression of his primary sin. Also then, church, don't miss this, becomes an expression of our sin, which is what? Pride and arrogance. When we swear oaths, we are exercising pride, disobedience, defiance, and rebelliousness. As we attempt to usurp God's place in determining the course of our lives. In 1799, 12-year-old Conrad Reed found a large glittering rock in the stream that ran through his family's small farm in North Carolina. He carried it home to show his father, who was a poor immigrant farmer, his father had no idea what that rock was. He did not understand its potential value and used it as a doorstop. The family went by that for a number of years. Eventually, Conrad's rock, which was actually a 17-pound gold nugget, <laughs> caught the eye of a local jeweler. Soon the Reed family, as you might could imagine, became wealthy and their property became the site of what was actually their very first gold strike in America. Not on the West Coast, 1849, but earlier in North Carolina. Here's my point. We are so guilty of doing the very same thing. We often walk right past a blessing. Yes. And of course, that blessing gets disguised, doesn't it? It's wrapped differently than how we might think, but we walk right past God's blessing, yes. intent on our own plans and our own ways, our own will. After Israel was exiled to Babylon, we studied about that, and when we went through the book of Daniel, why were they exiled for disobeying God? He proclaimed freedom to them. And once again, he lets them know and reminds them of what they had missed. He says, I am the Lord your God in Isaiah 48, who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way that you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would be like a river and your well-being like the waves of the sea. God then encouraged them to follow him away from the old ways and into new life beyond Babylon. And they were allowed to return to the Holy Land of Israel. Here's the deal. Leaving Babylon... Perhaps now, as much as then, means leaving sinful ways 
and coming home to a God who longs to do us good. If we just would let him. If only we would obey his word and follow him. And follow him. Father, we come before you this morning so thankful for your faithfulness to us. Thankful for your word, for the instruction, the encouragement that it brings to our lives. And I'm asking God that if any of us in this room have recently been walking past your blessing, demanding our own way, wanting our will. I pray, God, that you speak to us, that you stop us in our tracks, that we would, re we would repent of this sin. I pray, God, if there's anyone in this room who lately has been allowing their lives and their hearts to grow colder toward the things of God, that that be stopped right now in the name of Jesus. That they would take to heart the seriousness that the judge is standing at the door, that the imminent return of Jesus is just around the corner. And how do we want to be found living when you come? May our lives reflect you. May our hearts be filled with you. May our mouths express you. Come do a work in our lives, Lord, in these last days. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up, lift up my heart.